Awesome. Well, welcome to Mercy Hill Church. My name is Kevin. Uh, for better or for worse, I'm one of the pastors here, and I talk a lot into a mic. And uh, today, uh, I'm happy to be here with you guys again to open up God's Word together. Uh, we are in our Best Laid Plans series. We've taken a little break from the book of John uh, for the next couple of weeks to look at um, this new series, right? We serve a God who is a great designer. And if he's a great designer, a great creator, he has a great design. But yet me, little old me, sometimes I think I know best. You ever feel that way? Like, you know best for you. You know best for your life. The fact is, we have a designer who has a great design. He has a plan and a will. And he has this design for you and for me and this creator is amazing. He is detailed. When I think about his creation, I think about even like the human body, I think about the detail of the human eye, just the complexity in the human eye to, to receive light, to receive an image that is somehow upside down, if I understand correctly. I don't remember my anatomy classes too much, but our brain can decode it and makes understanding of it. He's amazingly complex and intelligent in his design. But he's ultimately Lord over his creation as well. In his design, we see beauty. We see order. And his design is very, very good. So it is our heart as a leadership to kind of bring this to light over the next couple of weeks where you have this beautiful creator, this beautiful designer who has a beautiful design for us, his church, but also for humanity. As I said last week, we'll probably get into some of these big hot-button topics over the next couple of weeks that you're seeing around us in the news or in culture. Last week, we really focused in on the nature of sin, right? We have this beautiful designer with this beautiful design that has order and structure, and it's very, very good, but yet sin came in and mucked it all up. You ever feel that way? Or just things are a little mucked up sometimes. The nature of sin, you see the fall of Satan, Ezekiel, in uh, chapter 28, Isaiah chapter 14, we looked at last, year, uh, last week. Satan, Lucifer, this beautiful angel of light, the most brilliant of all of God's creation, arrayed in precious stones. It says that he's perfect in beauty and the signet of perfection. And he says, I'm going to ascend to the throne. I'm going to ascend to the most high wants to be equal with God. The beauty went to his head. He became conceited and prideful. Instead of seeing the beauty of God's creation, instead of seeing the creator, he ultimately sees, this, um, he sees uh, the creation. Instead of seeing the designer as worthy of honor, as worthy of praise, he turns to worship, the exalted, uh, worship and exalt the created instead of the creator. And in this case, it was himself to see the beauty of God's design in himself and instead of reflecting that back and exalting and worshiping the creator, the designer, he decides to worship the created himself. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 23 kind of bring this to light. Verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth, 
For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's been revealed to them because God has shown it to them in verse 19. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Right? You see that in the fall of Satan. Instead of seeing the beauty of God's good creation, seeing and, uh, the, the beautiful designer, the creator, seeing him as worthy of honors, worthy of praise, we turn to worship and exalt created things. Oftentimes, it's us. I see the handiwork of God in my life, and sometimes I like to take the credit for it. Sometimes I like to put my hand at things, and instead of seeing how God has blessed me with a creative mind and how God has blessed me with strength and intellect in his image, that I have the ability to do things instead of reflecting that back in worship and honor of my beautiful God, I take the credit for myself. Satan, the original glory thief, but I am one too. My eyes often become earthbound, focusing in on what I can do with my hands, with my mind, instead of understanding that there is a beautiful, complex designer who creates beauty and order. All the good gifts that I have in my life have been given to me by him and are meant for his glory and his glory alone. So last week, we really looked at the heart and the nature of sin, right? Rebelling against the design of the designer and how his design, his plan, his will is revealed in his word. We looked at that phrase that the serpent utters to the woman, did God really say the schemes of the enemy against our hearts and our lives is to undermine the word of God, to rebel against the design of the designer, and so today we'll continue on in our best laid plan series, and we're going to look at what it means to be created in the Imago Day, in the image of God. So if you have your Bible, you want to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to read a familiar text, and then we'll go from there. Genesis 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, excuse me, fish of the sea over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he is created male and female. He created them. Before we do anything else, let's pray this morning. Once again, that God would open our eyes, open our ears, open our hearts to his spirit and his word. Father, thank you for this morning. God, as we sang, great is your faithfulness. God, you are so faithful to your people. God, with this word that we hold in our hands, with the spirit of God alive in our lives, we lack nothing. We lack nothing in you, Jesus. We lack nothing in your word and your Holy Spirit alive in us. So God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. 
God, today we ask with expectation in our hearts, God, that you would transform us and change us again. God, that we would understand our calling, that we would understand your will, your plans, your design, and God, ultimately, how we fit into that good and perfect design. We would no longer live for ourselves, but as your church, as your people. God, that we would live beautifully to the glory of Christ Jesus. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So who do you most look like? You know, when we talk about that, like, who do you resemble? It, oftentimes it's our parents, right? My mom or my dad. I look more like my dad. I look more like my mom. We've had, kid, we've had people come up to us, talk about our kids and how they look like us. And it's funny because we'll have people come up and say, boy, he looks just like you. And then, like, in the same, like, somebody else, just same kid will say they look exactly like my wife, right? Which is a better, which is a better compliment by far, right? Many of you know my wife. Much better compliment. I posted a story the other day. It was uh, something that I posted six years ago. It was one of those memories that pop up in your social media. And uh, we, I think we were talking about doppelgangers, right? And who you look like, celebrity lookalikes, and all that stuff. And my son, who was six at that time, asked me, he said, Dad, who do people say you look like? And I've had people say it over time, and don't laugh, okay? Because you'd be like, ha, ah, right. Some people have said that I've looked like John Stamos or Ray Liotta, okay? So Ray Liotta. One person actually, I walked up to a door. I was doing real estate, and I walked up to a door. I was actually doing a, a showing at a house, and Unfortunately, the tenant was still there in the house, and they came to the door and like, oh my gosh, anyone ever tell you you look like Ray Liotta? Like, a non-threatening Ray Liotta. They had to put that qualifier on it because he's kind of a scary dude. So the story goes, my son asks me, and so I told him that, and he looks at me, and I look at him, and there's kind of a pause, and I said, well, who do you think I look like? And he says, Willie Mays. <laughs> Anybody know what Willie Mays looks like? He's African-American, first of all. It's a baseball player. I don't know what he saw in me. People often say we look like somebody. We look like our parents. We look like our grandparents. We carry a resemblance or a reflection of somebody. We are Christians. If you are in Christ Jesus, right, you should resemble Christ. Actually, Christian early on meant little Christ. It was actually kind of meant as a derogatory term for those who followed Jesus early on. That they look like them. They're just kind of like a little tag along. Right? If you are in Christ Jesus, right, we reflect the image of our creator. But I'll say this. God created man with a reflection of him. Mankind, those redeemed and those unredeemed, still bear the image of their creator in some fashion. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? What does it mean that we've been created? In what way have we been created in the image of God? There's many thoughts on this. There's many, um, like, what implications does it have for us as, as humans? Some people think of it physically and look in form. One time, I think I've shared this story before. One time when I was doing youth ministry, I asked the teenagers, what does God look like? And almost without a beat, somebody shouted out Morgan Freeman. Right? What does God look like? Right? Does he have a physical form and look like humanity, like us? I know that God is spirit, but I also know that he put on flesh and came down and dwelt among us. 
He must think something of our form. Is it that we've been made with a sense of right and wrong? That there's a sense of what's right and wrong in the world, that there's a sense of morality within us, and that is that part of our reflection of being made in the image of God. Maybe it's our intellect. Maybe it's our ability to problem solve and to reason. Where we have this intelligent design who imparts intelligence into his creation to gain knowledge, to gain understanding, to be able to solve problems. Maybe that's part of our image of God. Maybe it's our part of our uh, ability to identify and appreciate and ultimately create beautiful things. You understand that that's like pretty unique to us as people, as humans? That we have an appreciation of beautiful things, of order and symmetry and, and, and beauty. We don't just create function, but we have um, an inclination to create something with form and beauty. And that beauty and beautiful things incites things in us, feelings in us, appreciation and desire, things like art and sunsets and music. What is music? Noises that make sense, that, that, that feel good together, that don't have a dissonance about them, but if I put this note and this note and this note together, it makes a beautiful chord? What is that in us? It makes us pause. It makes us take a deep breath. Sometimes it even moves us to tears. Is that part of our reflection of God, the image of God over our lives, that we identify and appreciate and also create beautiful things? So uh, just full disclosure, Pastor John Piper has really kind of influenced some of my thinking in this what it means to be created in the image of God. And there's a phrase that I came across years ago, and I don't know if it was a sermon or, or an article or something that he wrote, and it says about the image of God, it, it says, he said that um, images were created to image. And now when I say that, maybe it doesn't have much of an impact, or maybe it's more of a duh statement, but that phrase, images were created to image, really had a profound impact on me. Because when I think about what it means to be created in the image of God, first and foremost, a lot of times my brain goes to value. Like God thought of us to create us, humanity, in his image. We're beasts of the field, fish of the sea, birds of the air, have not been created in his image, but yet us, humanity, he creates in his image. So there's got to be a value to that. He has to think something of us a little more special than the beasts of the fields he does of humanity. That there's a value to being created by him. But there's something in this that is even deeper. When I think of this, I go, when I think of that phrase, images are created to image, I will start to reflect on my life. I start to think about definition and purpose and mission from the very first moment of creation, it is full of purpose, full of mission, full of um, existential meaning. 
because God created us in his image. An image was created to image something. You ever wrestle with your purpose? You ever wrestle with your why? You ever wrestle with what you're supposed to do with your life? I can remember as a, as a young person, back and forth, even as, a, as a, a middle school and high school student, like really wrestling with what I was supposed to do with my life and trying to figure out how, what it meant to be called of God. You were made in his image to be his image to be a reflection, a representative, an ambassador, it says in 2 Corinthians. To show off the handiwork of God. You are in God's plan for mankind. Pretty big. You were in God's plan for the world. Us. The church, we are God's plan, God's design to show the world who he is. We were made in his image to be his image, to be a reflection of the beauty, to be a reflection of his handiwork so that we wouldn't be the thing, but we would be the thing that points to the thing. That we'd be a, a, a beautiful reflection of the glory of Jesus. Think about Colossians chapter 1. Starting in verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. There's Jesus, right? He is the image of the invisible God. The Word put on flesh, and He dwelt among us to show us, to express perfectly who our Creator, our Designer is. The firstborn of all creation. Okay, be careful there. Don't get tripped up there. When it says firstborn, that Greek word there uh, means priority or first, not necessarily first created. Christ himself, he's not a created being, but rather it's pointing to his preexistence. Okay? He's the firstborn of all creation. Verse 16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And, this is, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, this church, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Remember last week I said that Ephesians chapter 2 is like my first, my favorite verses. Like those are my favorite go-to verses. This one actually might be now my new favorite. Did you notice all the in-hims and through-hims that are in that passage? That all things were created in him, by him, for him, to him. We have been created as his image to reflect the glory of him. Now, we all know what happened in Genesis chapter 3, right? Sin enters the world, and everything is schmutzed up. That's what I could say, schmutzed up. Sin and the fall have messed it all up, but it's not completely destroyed. It's kind of like uh, every window and mirror in my house many times. Okay, we just had a big cleaning day yesterday. My wife kind of went through everything. It was like, it's beautiful. But when you got small kids, 
it's like they're like it's like a magnet to anything that's glass <laughs> right to just go and touch it they just gotta schmutz it all up windows we got these nice big sliding sliding doors the windows in them just touched up just smutzed up we've got this uh, nice full-length mirror on a stand like in a, in the corner of our bedroom so many times now they're a little bit older now they don't do it as often but when they're toddlers if you've got a toddler in the house you know exactly what i'm talking about it's just all got to be schmutzed up just because we are now on this side of the fall doesn't mean that we weren't created or ceased to be created in the image of God. It's just been muddied, dirtied. Keeping that in mind, when you're dealing with broken and fallen people, right? sometimes it's hard to deal with people. Sometimes people are, are abrasive and belligerent. Sometimes People think and believe things that we don't think and believe, and sometimes it's tough to deal with them relationally. But keep it in mind, because they are still a bearer of the image of their creator. It might be muddied up. It might, be, uh, it might stink of their flesh and sin, but they are still made in the image of God. So be gracious. Be kind. Be loving. Because sometimes it gets a little schmutzed up. But because sin entered the world and something had to be done about it, God in his mercy, knowing that we could not do it, we could not conquer it, we could not clean it on our own, if we were to try to clean up our own schmutz on that mirror, we'd, it, we'd be grabbing like a dirty rag. And you ever tried to wash a window with a rag that's already dirty? And you just make it worse? Have you ever asked a little kid to clean up their mess and only to go back to go, look at the mess was just spread out and just made a little broader? That's me. That's me when I try to clean my own mess. God knew that I couldn't do it in myself. Nobody can. None of us can. That's the nature of it. But God, who is rich in mercy, because he loves us, he sent his son to be our everything, to clean the whole mess with the power of his blood. Something had to be done, and we couldn't do it. So God himself comes down, Jesus Christ, the image of the invisible God. He puts on flesh. He dwells among us, lives a sinless life, paid our sin. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. This one actually might be my new favorite verse. <laughs> For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not well, made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power of the working God who raised him from the dead, and you who were dead in your trespasses, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross, disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Knowing that when sin entered the world, messed it all up, God went back to work and he sent his son to be our sacrifice, even when we were dead in our trespasses.
He did it. God himself came to our rescue. God himself is the one who makes us right, makes us clean. He triumphs over sin that causes death and muddies up our reflection. Jesus came and he did it because we couldn't do it. And the other beautiful thing about it is this. God doesn't just leave us in our mess. He doesn't just leave us in that muddied state, right? He cleanses us and washes us. But how many of you know we still wrestle and battle with sin every day? When I think about it, like if I think about that wrestle, I can be really full of despair sometimes because I know I can't do it in myself. And it's God's will that we would be sanctified. It says that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's his will that we would be sanctified, that we would be cleansed, that we would grow up to maturity. Now, word sanctified really means set apart, right? And it happens at salvation, right? When we, um, by faith, put our faith in Christ, right? And he makes us new and he cleanses us from our sin. We are set apart from our sin and set apart to Christ Jesus. And in that, the Holy Spirit starts to work, convicts us of sin. In that, the Holy Spirit starts to work and takes the words of God and makes them alive to our hearts, make them not, not um, just words of encouragement or words of good advice, but actual life to our souls. And the Word of God is so vitally important for our transformation Right? For us to more clearly bear the image of Jesus, for more, to more clearly reflect the image of Christ, we must be cleansed and sanctified. And how many of you know that takes some time sometimes? A little bit of a process sometimes. And one of the big ways that God does this in our lives is by the Word of God. Even as I say that, like, I, I don't want that to be, I want that to carry more weight than what I'm, what I'm conveying right now. God in his mercy has given us his word. We talked about it last week, right? How God spoke his word through the prophets, through Moses, through, through the, uh, the Psalms, David and Solomon and all those beautiful uh, books of poetry. He spoke through the disciples, through, through the apostles and, and, the, and the gospels that we have and the epistles and Paul and writing to these churches. We have these beautiful words of God revealing the design of God, the plan of God, the will of God for you and me. And in that word, by the power of the Spirit, he also washes us clean. There's so many times where this sanctifying work that needs to happen to me, I, I just I, I get the bootstrap living i got to pick myself up. I can do it. Self-determination, all of this. And I neglect the word of God. Actually, earlier this week, I was really convicted about this because I spend a good deal of time in the word of God weekly, right? Because of what I do. And so many times I'll pick up the word of God because I have to say something on Sunday. <laughs> and this last week I went, oh my gosh. I need to pick up that word so that he can wash it over me by the power of his spirit to cleanse me. I need to pick up that word because I can meet with the author of that book. I can commune with the Holy Spirit of God when I open those pages. Be careful. 
be careful, be careful when you pick up that book just so that you have something to tweet out to your friends. Something to just put on your social media account. There's a couple of other verses that I want to share with you today. Colossians chapter 3. I feel like we've kind of done a little bit of an overview of Colossians. 1, 2, 3. Verse 9 says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not a Greek or a Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices and have put on the new self again, which is being renewed in the knowledge of his creator, right? Verse 10. Being renewed in the knowledge after its creator. I need to be renewed by him. By the power of his spirit, the truth of his word. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 12 says this, Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Verse 14, But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ it is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image, one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. That God in his mercy has lifted the veil so that when we read the words that are in Scripture, that there isn't a veil over it, but he's given us understanding by the power of his Holy Spirit. And because of it, we're being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's what the Word of God does by the Spirit of God. As I was laying in bed last night, kind of thinking through my sermon today, thinking of the idea of imaging. Right? Images are created to image. But then because of like probably all the like medical stuff that's in the news and whatever, I was all, the, the word imaging jumped into my brain and I thought, I know people who have worked in the imaging department of hospitals. Right? Usually x-ray, MRIs, different stuff like that. And I was sitting there just blown away that we have the ability, we have the technology to see beyond the surface. Like when I look at my skin, like that, I, I, that's all I can see, but we have the technology and the ability to see beyond the surface of us. And I thought, wow, there's a lot of times where I can get caught up in the trap of appearances, of what's on the surface what I project to people around me, right? Because when an image is supposed to image something, sometimes I can just be like, okay, I have, a, I have to keep up an appearance now because I have a congregation in front of me, so Pastor Kevin needs to look like Pastor Kevin. There's a trap in that. There's a trap when we get so caught up in, in that where we can fake something. We can come up with a facade that looks like that Sunday morning Christian happy face when we all come together. Hands raised, hallelujah, great to see you, brother, way to go. 
what needs to happen is that by the transformation of the Holy Spirit, what we image, what we get out. Like, it's like we need to have the Holy Spirit as that x-ray to get down into our hearts to expose the selfishness and the greed and the pride and the lust and the anger, all that stuff, to allow the Holy Spirit down into there. And one of the beautiful ways, I think of the way that the, the Bible is, 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 uh, is it James that's referred to as like a mirror? It's like, busted, like with hearers and doers, right? When you look at the Word of God, it's like the man who walks away and forgets what he looks like after he looks into a mirror. But when you look into the Word of God, it kind of reflects back that beautiful design of the designer, who we've been made to be in him. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he gets down to the heart of things transforms us, renews us, washes us, cleanses us, so that what we're projecting is a, a beautiful reflection of the work of Jesus in our hearts, not just a facade or something to gloss over. Like I said, there's a trap there. Sometimes that trap is, is, is built out of haughtiness and pride, like the Pharisees, who Jesus described as a whitewashed tomb. Sometimes out of fear, Knowing that we don't measure up, we just put up a face and a front and a facade as well. Don't fall into that trap. As we're talking about reflecting and imaging this beautiful creator God of ours, please understand, I'm not asking you to be something that you're not. But bear yourself before the Holy Spirit and allow him to wash over you. Allow humility and brokenness to be a part of who you are. See, I think I may have said it on a Sunday morning, but oftentimes, like, when you understand your purpose in Christ, to reflect the glory of Christ, images were created to image, to reflect the glory of Christ Jesus. Jesus came to save and seek the lost. Don't pretend like you're not. Jesus came to redeem and restore that which is broken. Don't pretend that you're not. Because in embracing that brokenness, confessing that sin, confessing your need for the Holy Spirit of God to transform you, making you confessing your need for Christ, you then ultimately exalt Christ. If we just get all caught up that I need to look a certain way, all that ends up good. Like, I don't need him. And I utterly need him. So be okay with your brokenness. Be okay with your need of him. Because in that confession, Christ is exalted. In that confession, we image our creator. Don't settle for facades. Don't settle for mere appearances. Be humble. Be in the word. Allow him to wash over you. That's one thing. When I, when I have the opportunity to meet with couples, when we're doing pre-marriage counseling or maybe even um, other counseling, right? Oftentimes I'll go to Ephesians chapter 5. There's a beautiful verse in there, Ephesians 5, 22 through 33. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, right? And Christ gives himself. 
Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Go to the next verse, verse 26, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Did you notice how he cleanses, sanctifies? He washes with the word. He washes us with his word. Don't settle for facades. Be washed by him and his word today. You were created to bear the image of God, to show forth his glory, to show forth his work. He redeems that which is broken. He makes beautiful things out of utter messes. Anybody have an amen for that? Right? Is that your story? It's my story. So today as we go to time of worship, I just want to encourage you. You were created in the image of God for his glory and for his purpose. If you're in this place, and maybe you've been wrestling with that, or maybe if you reflect on your life, you're going, my, my life is not imaging him at all right now. I've gotten caught in a trap. I've been caught in my own selfish pursuits, my own ambitions, my own successes, whatever it might be. Today's your day for repentance. And understand your purpose, not just your worth, not just your value as being created in his image, but your purpose in him to reflect the glory of Christ Jesus. Today, do some business with the Holy Spirit. Today, ask him to cleanse you, to wash you with his word. Today, ask him to empower you with his Holy Spirit, to reflect him and to shine him more, and then let's get out there and do it. The church of Jesus Christ, if we would understand that we were made in his image for his glory, that we would live that purpose, the church of Jesus Christ would be so much more vibrant and effective. We can do it with the power of his Holy Spirit. Let's pray and let's worship together. Father, thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace. We thank you, God, that we have life in you. We thank you, God, that we've been made with a purpose of reflecting the glory of Christ and that because of you, because of Jesus, there's no longer a veil over us when we read the words of Scripture. God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you illuminate those words and those words wash over us and cleanse us so that we're not just putting up an appearance or a facade, but that the fruit that comes of our life, what people see, is genuine and, and true. God, I pray for genuine fruit today. Cleanse us and make us pure. Let us as your people live to the glory of your name alone. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, let's stand and sing together.